Well, good morning. Uh, again, my name is Daniel Rogers, and I'm excited to be here with you guys. And uh, we're going to be continuing in the war series. This is the second week. And last week, uh, Pastor Justin talked about how we have the armor of God for us and how we can win at relationships when we put it on. And he told us that in any relationships, there will be conflict, but with the armor of God on, we're able to defend those relationships at a spiritual level. And we're going to continue today. Now, there will be times today I'm going to need your help. So if I do this, that means you all say something back, okay? We got that? All right. Well, today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite relationships, and that is marriage. I'll be saying marriage over and over today. So before I go any further, let's just go on and get this out of our system, okay? Check this out. <laughs> okay, so whenever I hear marriage, you know, those two clips come to mind. And so that everybody wasn't going to be going through the whole service going, marriage, waiting for me to say it like that. I'm not going to, so. But um, I absolutely love being married. I love everything about it. I like the companionship, the cuddling, constantly being told how to do things the correct way. And, and I just love everything about it. And I still remember my wedding day. Uh, take a look up here. Look at those two kids. Oh, look at that. She had no idea what she was in for. She's still smiling. Um, you know, <laughs> I remember our wedding day just like it was yesterday, and it's, it, it's getting even better from that day on. In fact, just a couple years ago, uh, Amy and I celebrated our 25th wedding anniversary up here. Take a look. Yeah, there we are. Um, Funny thing about this picture is that that's the day of our anniversary, and we had dinner plans, and it didn't work out. So we had to go somewhere else at the resort to have dinner, and while we were praying over our meal, I said, God, uh, you, you wrecked our plans for some reason, and just make it known to us. And on the way back after dinner, there was a guy taking pictures. In fact, that's really the only picture of both of us we had taken on our on our anniversary. So I don't believe in coincidence. I believe God had a hand on all that. So, but yeah, man, did I marry up, you know. But the funny thing is, is when I was younger, I didn't want to be married at all. I wanted to remain a single man. You know, in my mind, a single man had money. Uh, he was able to spend his time just carousing out, having a good time. He was free to do whatever. And to quote the great philosopher Pee Wee Herman, um, I'm a loner, Dottie, a rebel. And that's the lifestyle that, that I wanted to pursue. I saw being married and being a husband as finality, like uh, being tied down and miserable. And I think that's because a lot of the men that I saw um, in life and in TV and movies, they seemed to be miserable. And another reason I never wanted to get married is because I would never thought I'd leave my mom's house. You know, I grew up with a single mother, and I'm definitely a mama's boy. In fact, I tell people all the time, if I would have never gotten married, I would still be living at home. And, uh, you know, <laughs> so like I said, I, 
we had a single mom, so my mom was both mother and father to my brother and I. Now, anyone that knows my mom knows she's an incredible woman. You know, so anybody, anybody that knows her, yeah. And so growing up, though, we, had, we worked together to make the house run, to make it work, but she was definitely the head of household. Have you ever heard that term before, head of household? Well, a lot of people like to say that that is a, a Bible verse or that it's scriptural. Well, that's not entirely true. Something like that is kind of said in a passage in Ephesians 5, which is what we're going to be looking at today. So before we get started, though, I want to tell you a little bit about Ephesians. So Paul wrote the book of Ephesians uh, to the people of Ephesus, which was a city. And Ephesus was a major, major place. Uh, it was the capital of Asia Minor at this time. So there was a lot of commerce and stuff that was going through there. So there were a lot of Jews and a lot of Gentiles that would come here just for the opportunities uh, that were available. And it was also a major source of pagan worship. And Paul actually wrote Ephesians from a Roman prison cell. And he, he breaks Ephesians down into three segments. Uh, chapters 1 through 3 talk about how we're redeemed and we can apply God's principles to our new lives. Chapters 4 and 5 talk about our new relationships and how we can live out those lives together. And chapter 6 really helps us uh, with our daily struggles. So after laying out all these uh, profound theological truths, Paul made one purpose clear. That he expected followers of Christ to live out this new life. And many biblical scholars and pastors consider Ephesians one of the most important books in the Bible, especially when it comes to our daily lives as Christians. And last week, Pastor Justin talked about going through the whole book of Ephesians, and, and I suggest you take the time to read through it. It's only six chapters. It's not real long, but man, there is some really good stuff in it. So now that we've kind of had a little rundown about Ephesians, we're going to talk about what Paul says about being married. We're going to be in Ephesians 5, 21 through 33. Now, it's a little long, and there might be some things that rub you the wrong way when I read this, but I need you to hang in there, and I need you to follow along with me, okay? So verse 21 says, Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Now, do I have your attention? <laughs> Let's continue on. Verse 25 says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife. 
and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you must love his wife as he loves himself, and his wife must respect her husband. Now, on a side note, the guy who wrote this, Paul, he was never married. You know, that's kind of like me giving you advice on how to run a marathon. Or our pastor, Justin, writing a book on how to incorporate humor into a sermon. Or, or actually grow a real beard. Let's see you talk about Zacchaeus again. Um, so Paul may not have been married, but one thing he did know was God. And living out a life for Christ. He knew the church, and he knew what the church needed to do to live life to the fullest. He knew the people, he knew their struggles, and that through Christ, life could be awesome. And that's why he refers to the church over and over in this passage, and that the church isn't just one person, but people together. And another thing Paul mentions over and over is submission and submitting. Which brings us to our first point today. Marriage requires submission. Now, submit is a tough word in today's society. We are told that we do not have to submit to anyone or anything. And when we submit, it makes it seems like we're allowing someone to rule us. Or take away our stuff as an individual. But submitting does mean I give something up. But submission is a voluntary act. It's something that we individually have to be willing to do. And most of the time, whenever this passage is mentioned, people shut down fast. Uh, Because all we remember is wives submit to your husband. And we're like, nope. Now, I'm not listening to anything else that Paul has to say here. Now, last week, Pastor Justin talked about how you have to be careful if you look at just part of a verse or just looking at a block of Scripture It it can be a bad thing. Actually, when it happens, it can be a dangerous thing. And it happens all the time with scriptures. Uh, One of the first ones that I think of is James 4, 7. Now, you may not be able to quote it right away when I say that, but we hear all the time, resist the devil and he will flee. Okay? But did you know that a key part of this verse rarely gets mentioned? It actually says, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. We have to submit first. And and it's the same thing here. Before Paul tells wives that they have to submit to their husbands, he says in verse 21, and further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It doesn't say submit one to the other, but submit to one another. And do it out of love for Christ. You know, that's like last week when Pastor Justin introduced the series. He goes, we're going to talk about winning at relationships, not winning in relationships. Sometimes messing up one word can make a huge difference. And, you know, society likes to point out that verses 23 and 24 uh, are chauvinistic and sexist. I, I agree. To a point, and men like to use this as a way to control their wives. 
But we have to look a little deeper into why Paul would say this. So at this time, most marriages were either arranged or forced. It was kind of like, I've got a lot of pigs. Will, you've got a lot of spices. I think Olivia and Malin should get married. <laughs> but there were reasons why it was a lot of times it was just to bring houses together for benefit we've got witnesses you know a marriage it's not the the typical process we see today you know boy meets girl boy courts girl they fall in love. Boy asks girl to get married. She says yes, and then they get married. You know, it's, it wasn't like that a lot of times. You know, most of the women didn't get to choose for themselves the man they got to marry. So they were expected to submit to their new husband, but to do it as property. However, Paul flips the script here, and he's addressing the Christian houses and the Christians and telling wives to submit voluntarily. And why does he address the women first? I have no idea. I'm assuming it's because traditionally women were told they had to submit. And here he's telling them, though, that they need to submit, but they need to do it as they would to Christ. And that submission here is for their benefit and not for their loss. Fun fact. Uh, these three verses, 22, 23, and 24, are the only times that the wives are addressed. The rest of the time is spent telling the husband how he is supposed to act and how he is supposed to treat his wife. And why is this? Well, at that time, men needed to be instructed on how to love. They needed to be taught that they were no longer to rule over their wives but now there's a certain way that as men, they needed to act. And reality, this passage is more for the men than the women. But being the head of the household is not about being controlled, being in control. In fact, it's about giving up control. It's about leading how God wants you to lead your house and lead how he wants us to. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus gave up his throne. He laid down his life for a relationship, the relationship we have with him, but especially so that we can have a relationship with the one who does provide life and provides everything for us. Now, when Paul is talking about the man being the head in the passage, the Greek word he uses is kafal. Again, we're going to stick with that. Thank you. Kafal in Greek means source. So he is telling men here that they need to be the head or the source, but not as a boss or to lord over their wives, but as a way to provide for them. And they are the provider of what their wife needs. Now, at this time, most women didn't generate any kind of income. So he's talking to, that could be part of it. I hope he's not talking a lot about that because my wife makes more than I do. So, you know, 
But, but Paul makes reference to not only being the provider for his wife, but being the source spiritually as well. And what do men have to provide? We need to provide stability. We need to provide comfort. We need to provide love. We need to provide unity, just to name a few. It's not about power, but humbly providing all of the things our wives need. And wives submitting here means that they agree to allow their husband to be a source, to be a provider of these things. And as the source, as husbands, we have to be willing to provide for all of our wives' needs. And I know that's hard for some people to swallow, but a lot of times we try to just depend on ourselves. But there are times that we have to submit to Christ to look for him to provide. So Paul tells us here that men are to love like Christ loved. We're to give up ourselves for our wives. We're to love our wives more than we love ourselves. And we're to leave our current family to be with her. We men have to be selfless. We have to sacrifice like Christ did. And we have to put our wives ahead of ourselves. And we're to love our wives like Christ loves the church. So that tells us our second point that marriage is a church. Now the word church is mentioned over and over in the passage. And Paul talks about Jesus' sacrifice multiple times. And Paul, why would Paul want to do that? Well, he wanted to remind us that Christ was willing to give up his life for the church, his people, the ones that he loved. He gave up his life so that we, the church, could be holy in God's eyes. And Paul tells us that the man has to be willing to make those same sacrifices and that we're to have the same love for our wives as Christ did the church. Now, I love Amy. I do. And I love tacos. I love fish tacos. They're my favorite. And why do I say this? One of the problems with the English language is we take one word and use it multiple ways. Well, the Greeks didn't do that when it came to love. Um, have you any heard any of the Greek words used for love? Throw some out there. Oh, got it. What, are, what was back here? Oh, I thought you said something. What are some of them? Agape, philia. Ones we hear the most are philia, which is a brotherly love. And then we hear eros, which is a passionate, romantic type of love. Then we have ludus, which we don't hear that one as much. That's a flirty love. Amy, I ludus you. See? I could, didn't know I could speak Greek, did you? But the one we hear the most is agape, which is a godly love and in the passage that we're looking at from ephesians every time that the man is told to love his wife the greek word that is used there is agapo does that sound like a word we just said sounds just like agape right we're supposed to love our wives with a godly love not not just a regular love a godly love and Christ showed his agape love for us. He gave up his life so that each of us could be seen as spotless and blameless. And Paul tells us men here that we're to do the same. You know, that our marriage is not about us, but it's about those that God makes us the source for. And when we demonstrate that agape type of love for our wives, the devil cannot stand it. He tried to stop Jesus. 
So what makes you think that he's not going to try to stop us? So that lets us know that marriage is a battle. So traditional marriage as we know it, the ceremony, the priests, the witnesses, uh, has really only been around since the mid-1500s. Now, we hear of marriage covenants and wedding ceremonies all throughout the Bible. In fact, Jesus performed his first miracle at a wedding ceremony. But in the mid-20th century, there appeared to be a lot of marriages, a lot of times just for convenience, taking place without a witness or a ceremony. So in 1563, the Council of Trent said that for a marriage to be legal, it had to take place in front of a priest and at least two witnesses. Now, marriage has been around since the beginning. You know, it, it takes place in Genesis 2, which we're getting ready to look at, but, but up until this time, you know, here's Adam. He's just walking around, hanging out, naming animals, walking in the cool of the day, just having a blast. But in Genesis 2, it says, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. They sound really happy here, right? Remember the honeymoon phase? Not the walking around naked part, but, you know, the... <laughs> you know, they're just walking around, hanging out in the cool of the day, looking at all the animals Adam had just named. I'm sure Eve was questioning a lot of them. She's like, Adam, platypus, really? You know? But what happens right after this? The temptation. The devil tempts them into sin, and as soon as it happens, God asks them a question, and what comes into play? Blame and shame. Adam, why'd you do it? Eve, why'd you do it? They all just start blaming and all that stuff. And th So the devil tried to destroy the very first marriage. So what makes you think that he's not going to keep trying today? The devil's objective is to destroy the church and all of those that are involved. So if that's his goal, why not start with marriage? You know, we talked about how marriage makes a church. And the family structure is the backbone of the church and the church is made up of families so this is how he could be this is how he would be able to destroy God's people from the inside out by attacking our relationships and what is one way he does this well he wants us to be selfish he wants us to put ourselves first and our desires before anyone or anything else does anyone here always have to be right or win, win every argument. I see, some, I see some handshakes and some pats on the arm going on. Well, I learned early on in our marriage that I wasn't going to win any, so I don't even try. <laughs> I just gave up then. But disagreements and arguments and conflicts are going to happen in any relationship. You know, Pastor Justin said that multiple times last week. 
However, when they happen, we have to choose how we react. Do you yell? Do you scream? Do you fight? Do you get angry? These are all natural feelings. Uh, but with Christ, we can learn how to control these feelings. And we can react differently now that we have Christ with us. So what do you do when disagreements arise? Uh, Amy and I hold to the Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 model, which says, and don't sin by letting anger control you. Don't let the sun go down while you are still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Anytime something happens with us, we'll, we'll, we'll grab each other and we'll hold hands and we'll look lovingly into each other's eyes. And Amy will go, it's getting dark. Don't you think you should apologize? <laughs> no. No, but, but seriously, <laughs> how many marriages and relationships could be saved by not letting the devil get a foothold and letting anger rather than love stand out? The devil wants to see us give up. You know, anyone who's ever been married knows it's not easy. Now, there's a lot of benefits and, and rewards to being married, absolutely. But marriage takes work. It's hard work at times. You know, it's hard enough, and then you throw in in-laws. Mine aren't here. <laughs> you throw in in-laws, then you throw in bills, and then you throw in kids, and then this, and then that. The devil wants to see us worn down to the point where we quit, where we give up. You know, he wants us to feel like nothing we can do can fix our situation. He wants us to feel helpless. But 1 Corinthians 15 says, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And what's the work of the Lord here? Marriage. The work of the Lord here is our relationship. You know, in the early stages, Satan didn't want my marriage to work out. Amy was in high school and pregnant. I was in college. I was slinging fish at Long John Silver's. Stunk. And I was also an agnostic. You know, neither Amy or myself grew up in a traditional household. But we decided early on we were going to see it through. You know, I had met the one person that made me feel complete. Gave me life, purpose, kisses, you know. But little did I know at the time, she was going to lead me to the one who gives life and gives it more abundantly and gives my life a purpose. You know, we decided that we would work through stuff. And I had to decide that I was not going to be selfish, but that I would put my wife and my family first. Now, the traditional institution of marriage is under attack. Social media, TV, and stuff like that has watered down marriage. It makes divorce seem like an option, but not the last one. You know, I was super pumped when I started this, mar this message, because marriage, I love being married. I said that in the beginning. But then I realized that for some people, when they hear the word marriage, they don't have the same excitement that I do.
and my heart began to break. And I was wondering how I could help. And, and I'm still struggling with that. I know divorce happens. And sometimes divorce is necessary. You know, I know many people that are divorced and their current marriage is the one for them. Or their current status is the one where God wanted them. You know, the Bible addresses divorce. And as long as marriage has been around, so is divorce. The divorce rate in the church is 50%. Half of all marriages in the church end in divorce. That is the same as outside of the church. Half or better of marriages end in divorce. So if you have been through divorce, I am sorry. But know that God can heal. Nothing can change what has happened. But know that through Christ, you can move forward. So what I want you to take away from today is that the church as a whole is broken down to relationships, especially marriage. You know, we don't need to stand by and just let marriage be something we do. We need to show how sacred and necessary that marriage, the way God intended it to be, is the basis for selfless relationships and carrying out God's plans for us. You know, it doesn't matter if you're married or not. We are all part of relationships, whether you're single, dating, divorced, married. We all have friends. We all have family. We all have coworkers. You know, we're all in different relationships with other people. But what is the basis of this, these relationships? It should be having the love of Christ in us and willing to not let the devil get a hold of them. We can win at relationships. I'm going to close with Colossians 3, 12 through 15. And as I read this, I want you to think about your relationships. Think of your significant other. Think of your family. Think of your friends. Think of your church. This passage uh, tells us how we're to live with all of those that are in our lives those with whom we have a relationship with. And it gives us what we need to do to win at those relationships. It says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. We're getting ready to go back into a time of worship. We're going to have people up front and in the back that are going to want to pray for you. So take the opportunity of this time to come up and get prayer. Let us pray. Father God, we are so thankful that we don't have to go through life alone. And that as we try to figure out relationships, 
that you help us with that. And Lord, I just pray that all of us can learn how to submit to one another in love. And Lord, I just pray for anybody here today that is having a problem in any relationship in their life. I pray that you heal it. And I pray that you strengthen this. And that you come to the forefront of that relationship. Lord, we just, we are so thankful. Like I said, that we don't have to do this on our own. We don't have to figure this out on our own. But through your word and through your power, we can win at relationships. Hey, this is Pastor Justin from Capital Vineyard Community Church in Frankfort, Kentucky. Thanks for listening to our weekly message. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit us at capitalvineyard.org or on social media at at Cap Vineyard. Thanks for listening and God bless.